Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so good, how good is it? It's so good it'll make you slap your grandma. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, back home in lovely Concord, North Carolina. Heat and humidity as opposed to the desert of Las Vegas where it was heat and absolutely no humidity. Yeah, 114 degrees was the high one day. I wouldn't know because I didn't go outside. Uh, But in uh, Pipe Parts, in tonight's show, Pipe Parts will be on uh, a trip report. Yeah, my trip to Las Vegas for the IPCPR. Um, I'll give you my rundown of it, of what I did and what I saw and what I thought and what I felt. Uh, My guest tonight is pipe maker Joe Hinkle. Joe's from uh, living in Indianapolis, working out of the Briar Lab. So we've got him waiting on the phone and we'll have him on in just a minute. Uh, music, mailbag, and a rant, all that coming up in a live episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show available to you from PipesMagazine.com, iTunes, and all the other I places where you can get uh, podcasts. And while you're on those podcast places, we would appreciate a rating or review. Those uh, help the show get uh, found and get discovered and get more people listening, and we love that. Uh, today is Tuesday, and Friday night is the opening night of, or the opening night ceremony of the Olympics. Um, I'm a, uh, I'm a big fan of the Olympics. When the Olympics come around, whether it's winter or summer, I like watching them as much as I can. I'm not so much a fan of uh, like Winter Olympics, the ice skating, that just kind of yeah, whatever. I can do without that, but I understand it's very popular. Uh, During the Summer Olympics, you know, there's not really anything that's kind of a dead sport for me. Uh, Maybe the synchronized swimming. But uh, in particular, uh, even this past week or two, I've been watching the the Olympic trials or whatever the, the North American competition is and just amazed at the, uh, at the synchronized diving. Uh, can watch that all day long. Uh, but anyway, looking forward to the Olympics. It's a time when the world gets together and gathers together in uh, competition and hopefully there's no cheating and uh, no issues in uh, Rio this year. All right, everybody, let's get the show rolling. Sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at smokingpipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes, I smoke them. 
gotta run. <laughs> Just log on to smokingpipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. Welcome back. All right. Trip report to Las Vegas. Um, all right. So the flying out there went fine. The first, uh, the first day is just helping with, uh, getting the skeleton of the booth set up. And let me say a thank you to the folks at the Sands Expo and Convention Center. Uh, during booth setup, there's all the big back doors, which are big enough to drive tractor trailers through. I mean, this, the show floor is, uh, it's a flat 500,000 square feet. And the and the back doors are big enough to drive tractor trailers through, which they do. Well, the Sands Expo was kind enough to keep the air conditioning on inside the hall. And this is the first time that they've ever done it voluntarily. Uh, but it's, apparent, it, it's because apparently they had some uh, health issues a couple months back. And uh, somebody got seriously ill or possibly dead from working in the extreme heat. So... It was really comfortable to be inside the convention center in 85 degrees instead of 100 degrees. So, thank you to the Sands Expo. Um, the first evening, in uh, the first full evening in Vegas, Saturday night, I had arranged to meet with the uh, with the Las Vegas Pipe Club, which is a good group of guys out there. If you're ever in Vegas, see if they're uh, see if they're gathering up, and uh, got a couple of my friends. It was me. Mike McNeil, Tom and Connor Palmer of McClellan, or of, of uh, Peterson, and the four of us went out and spent about an hour with them on an in, on a, uh, on a Saturday night gathering for about an hour. So one of the benefits to being a pipe smoker in Las Vegas is where else are you going to get, uh, get me and, uh, Peterson and McClellan to come hang out with your pipe club with the 8 to 10 people that could get away on a Saturday to come and hang out and smoke. Uh, it was really nice to spend some time with uh, with Tom again. Uh, so that was Saturday. Sunday is just booth assembly and finish decorating and getting caught up and visiting with, you know, with everybody else that's also rushing around trying to get their booths set up. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the show floor is pretty much open from uh, 10 to 5 all three days, and I am happy to say that I was busy all three days on the show floor, uh, all three of the full days. Now, the bad news is that because I was so busy to do that, well, guess what? <laughs> I didn't get much of a chance to walk around and see what was going on on the show floor. Uh, I can say that uh, James Foster has posted two parts of uh, of an article that I think I saw on PipesMagazine.com on his report of going to the trade show and visiting and going around and seeing all the new stuff. And it looks like there's some, uh, some really cool stuff. And, of course, uh, I think there's a lot of... Um, last minute rushing to get stuff out before the FDA regulations. So there may have been some more new introductions than normal, but do go to, if you haven't read the article, go to pipesmagazine.com and read that. Uh, uh, Monday night was a uh, dinner with myself, a uh, retailer from Indiana, small town in Indiana, not Indianapolis. And uh, Josh from Arango, 
and Antoine from Chacom. Uh, Josh and I have this uh, have this tradition of getting together the two of us, and we take turns with whose company is going to pay for what. Uh, we went to a great dinner at the DB Brasserie, which I like the location of it. It's right off the casino floor at the Venetian. You can easily, easily get in there and uh, you know get in, get out, smoke, whatever you want to do. Really comfortable and great food. And then the best part is right next door is a place called the Bourbon Room, where it's, well, guess what? They've got a great selection of bourbon and other drinks, and it's perfectly pipe and cigar friendly. So the four of us, after after having a good dinner, went over there and had drinks. Highly recommend that if you're in Las Vegas and you want to spend some money, because, you know, now in Las Vegas there are no more cheap meals, but the the Bourbon Room, great place to go get a $10, $12 glass of really good bourbon or rye or something like that and uh, come back and sit down and smoke a pipe or a cigar. Um, also had dinner at uh, Canaletto's, which is part of the Il Fernayo group. Uh, wonderful meal there. This is running longer than I thought it would, so let me try to hit, the, uh, hit some more of the highlights. Uh, the folks from Strauss Tobacconist came by and brought me a great little... Uh, I heart Strauss tobacconist espresso cup with a little spoon built into it. So that was fun to see them. Uh, again, this is not a uh, pipe show type crowd. I mean, the, the uh, yeah, the the folks from Briarworks were there and got to see Todd Johnson and Pete Prevost and sit with them for a little bit. Uh, but this is mainly your mainline manufacturers. Peterson Savinelli was there. Uh, Savinelli was giving out great t-shirts, which I got one and, uh, you know, just again, wholesale trade, uh, Grant Batson was there doing his, uh, representing for, uh, Suge and, uh, understand they've come out with a new tobacco, which I want to try, but, uh, and they were making Kisaru pipes right there on the show floor. Anyway, a lot of the wholesale stuff did not get a big chance to get out and around, um, if you're going to the Venetian, uh, or if you're going to Las Vegas, let me uh, let me halfway recommend the Venetian as a hotel to stay in because in the past year or two they've tried to make an effort of giving everybody a smoking room of choice on their uh, at the first time of check-in, and I did not hear anybody complain about the room of choice. Uh, I will say that the Venetian could use a little bit more water pressure in their showers. Uh, you know, you're in the little Argosy in Kansas City. It's got a much better shower than the big highfalutin uh, Venetian of Las Vegas. A uh, buddy of mine from high school in the old neighborhood was working over at, was uh, uh, now living in Las Vegas and working at the Wynn on the show Showstoppers. So he got us tickets and went over there and saw that. Uh, if you ever want to go shopping or dining and spend a ton of money, Las Vegas is the place to do it. However, Thomas Pink was having their sale, so I've got four or five new uh, shirts, and you know, best dress shirts you can ever get. So Thomas Pink, look them up. Hey, that makes my uh, purchase almost tax deductible now. All right, uh, the show ended on uh, Thursday with a half day show where we were able to tear down the booth, get it all packed up and wrapped up, and out by four o'clock. And then those of us that hung out and stayed till the end, about seven of us went over, had drinks at uh, drinks and appetizers and a light dinner at the 
yard house right at the link and then went on the high roller which is the big observation wheel for a half hour and spun around on that had a couple of drinks on that i probably had a couple too many and then i got back home so there's my uh ipcpr 2016 report i will i'm happy to say that the show floor was busy lots of retailers placing orders so the state of the uh the state of the economy seems good all right FDA updates and anything when I do hear them, those will come or check out uh, what uh, James Foster wrote on his uh, trip report on PipesMagazine.com. And in just a minute, Joe Hinkle will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. If you're looking for quality... If you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with a reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for CupOfJoes.com. CupOfJoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. CupOfJoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson Pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly Pipes. Check out their remodeled website at CupOfJoes.com, and be sure to like them on Facebook, CupOfJoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us from uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, and I know Indianapolis thinks it's the heart of racing, and you know, but I live here in Concord, North Carolina, where the real heart of NASCAR is, uh, is uh, pipe maker Joe Hinkle, and I've seen Joe's pipes, and I've admired them from afar. I've yet to stick my <laughs> stick my hands on one and put it in my mouth, but. Uh, Joe, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Oh, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. All right, so are you from Indianapolis? I'm from a small town, actually, in Indiana, uh, Logansport. Uh, grew up there until I was about 20 and then moved to Lafayette, Indiana. I've lived here about uh, 15 years, so I call it home now. <laughs> uh, so what was it like growing up in small town, Indiana? Uh, small town Indiana, it's a, a strange mix of um, rednecks and um, blue-collar blue workers. It's, it was an interesting place to live. And was the was the county fair the biggest thing of the entire year? Yeah, we actually had a um, an Iron Horse Festival, they called it. It was uh, basically in downtown Logansport. Uh, the same thing you would see at a 4-H fair or, a, or another festival, just downtown instead, so... Yeah, that was about the biggest thing that happened. All right, and I and I ask this of all the people that I know that were born and raised in Indiana, but what exactly is a Hoosier? You know, I have no idea. I've never even seen the movie Hoosier, so I, I couldn't answer that. I uh, nobody knows except the answer that I've heard is <laughs> the answer I've heard is a Hoosier is somebody from Indiana. <laughs> Yeah, that's the best explanation you'll probably get. Yeah. All right. So, what did you uh, what did you want to be when you were growing up? 
Uh, that's an interesting question. I guess uh, when I actually grew up and graduated uh, high school, I thought I was going to go to college and be a, um, a major in computer science, maybe a software engineer, but that never actually panned out. I, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how do we get from you uh, from you to leaving college and now in pipe making? Uh, well, I guess I probably ended up in pipe making like a lot of other guys did. Uh, started collecting and smoking pipes first and uh, eventually you know, got the idea that I could make my own and, and I made several terrible pipes, uh, but I was encouraged to make more. Uh, started reading a lot on the Pipe Makers Forum uh, about what a pipe should be. Uh, learned a lot from those guys and uh, stuck with it because I'm not smart enough to stop. But that's how I ended up where I am today. What do you think it was about pipes that drew you to smoking them? Uh, my grandfather smoked a pipe growing up, and uh, I kind of knew I would eventually you know, smoke one, at least try that out and, and see if I liked it. Uh, it. happened a little bit later than I expected. I was, I think, 23 when I got my first pipe. So I've been smoking now about 13, 14 years. Do you remember what what tobacco your grandfather smoked? Uh, I think it was Sale Green, the uh, slightly English blend. The, so it had that uh, slightly musty Latakia smell to it. Yeah, just a little bit of English. And, and when I first started smoking, I stumbled upon uh, in a local smoke shop, uh, Dunhill 965, and when I opened that bag and sniffed it, I, I thought there was something wrong with the tobacco, but it actually reminded me a lot of what he smoked. And <laughs> I smoked that almost exclusively for five years. So your first tobacco was 965? Uh, no, I, I, I experimented with the, the um, aromatics that a lot of people do, and, and I wasn't really excited about those. Um, and then I read online about uh, 965 being the, the standard mixture, the... Uh, benchmark for English tobacco, so I got a hold of that, and uh, after the, the initial uh, smell test, I actually started to really enjoy it, and smoked several pounds of that through my first pipe. And what was your uh, what was your first pipe? Uh, first pipe was a, uh, a factory, I guess a drugstore pipe that my father had bought for me for Christmas one year, um, a Graybo uh, straight billiard. <laughs> I love it. A father that bought you a pipe for Christmas. Yeah, he he asked me every year what I want, and that's that's all I could think of that year was a pipe. And I smoke that thing into the ground. It's it's barely usable at this point. <laughs> so, so there is a life expectancy on some pipes. Uh there the yeah on the uh, <clears throat> the lower end of the pipes. Yeah, they'll eventually. I think the nylon stems will eventually just wear out. So you you owned one pipe and you were smoking a bunch of nine six five. Yeah, when I went to the uh, the local shop in Lafayette, uh, I picked up a few more pipes. Uh, I picked up a Bjorn, had um, a few Viking pipes, and slowly added to my rotation. But I never really got past ten pipes, and I just rotated them pretty heavily. Did you notice a difference between the? Uh a big difference between the Graybow and then into the Bjarns? Yeah, there was a big difference. Um, the, the the large cavity in the Graybows where the um, 
filter was supposed to be was it caused a lot of condensation inside the stem. So, yeah, there was a, a large difference there. All right, so now we're uh, we're we're smoking five. <laughs> we've we've got about ten pipes and smoking nine six five, and then all of a sudden you get the urge to make a pipe. Is that about right? Yeah, I'd been watching the uh, Pipe Makers Forum for probably three years, just reading everything I could. I knew eventually I would make one, but um, finally got the uh, money together and got the nerve up to, to order from Tim West and uh, ordered a couple of blocks and attacked those with a file and uh, cordless drill, really mangled them pretty much. They're, they're hideous, but those are my first attempts. Yeah, so with just a file and a cordless drill, how long did it take you to shape those? Oh, that first one, I probably spent 50 hours messing with the first pipe, and, and it, I, I probably was uh, a little more ambitious than I should have been. I went for a bulldog, and trying to get the diamond shank perfectly square was just uh, it's, it was a futile attempt at uh, getting it square, <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but what a courageous attempt it was. Yeah, I, I, I was way over my head. Yeah. <laughs> so then, did you start getting the right tools and setting up a shop? Yeah, after uh, I think probably three weeks of messing around with those blocks I'd ordered from Tim, uh, I ordered a, a wood lathe and some chucks and tools and uh, started turning the bolts on the on the lathe and. Uh, Get, trying to get a little, you know, better quality and a little faster at it. So, I probably did that for three years before I had ever talked to another pipe maker besides the pipe makers forum. So, what was what was the hardest part for you to figure out at the at the early stages of pipe making? Uh, the hardest part, probably uh, finding out where the airway lies in the stem when you're filing from both sides. Uh, I never used uh, pre-molded stems. I went straight to uh, ebonite rods. So without knowing where the center is, you can easily get into the airway. And, and I did that, probably ruined a meter of ebonite the first uh, first ten or so attempts at making a stem. And what was, uh, what was the easiest part for you to figure out? Uh, probably the finishing. That, that seemed like the easiest part to me was... Uh, sanding through the grits and, and doing the finish. Um, I've been doing woodworking for probably 15 years at that point, so that, that was probably the, the easiest part for me. So you weren't just some uh, software computer geek that had said, I'm going to pick up wood for the first time. Oh, no, I've, uh, no, I've I had a lot of background in uh, woodworking and uh, working in lumber yards, uh, selling retail lumber and hardware, so I knew a lot about that. Now, Aaron, I, I don't think I've ever asked this of any pipe maker, but are there supplies for pipe making that you can actually buy at a standard hardware store? Not a lot. Uh, some basic tools, sandpaper, obviously. Um, nothing else, really. You know, I was thinking about that today. Um, a lot of a lot of what we use to make pipes are global materials. They they have to be imported from. Uh, Germany or Italy or Japan or wherever they come from, they're, they're really not available in the United States. 
Yeah, so thank, thankfully the Internet's made it a whole lot easier for you guys to find the supplies, too. Yeah, the, the Internet has definitely made it a lot easier for uh, hobby guys to find the supplies that are at a reasonable price and, and get them reasonably quickly as well. Uh, how many pipes did you make before you actually sold one? Uh, probably around 100, probably 75 to 100, I would say. And what'd you do with all those? Uh, I'm, for the most part, I smoked them myself. Uh, I gave a few away to friends, but uh, it was mostly just to uh, build up my own rotation of pipes. And did you, I mean, at that point, did you have any intention of becoming a full-time pipe maker, or were you just doing that for fun? No, I was, just, I was making them for my own rotation and, and just for my own uh, enjoyment, I guess. <laughs> didn't have any intention of selling them. Uh, and then when did you go full-time professional pipe maker? Uh, it was about a year ago, uh, a little over a year ago. So you'd been you'd been goofing around for four years or so, and then you said, all right, finally I'm ready to go. Yeah, I got a lot of encouragement from uh, other pipe makers that I'd met in Columbus at uh, Smoker's Haven um, to, to continue what I was doing, so... I took that advice. Is there a shape of pipe that is uh, still kind of challenging you? Uh, not in the classics. I, I, I spent probably four or five years uh, at the beginning of my pipe carving time trying to nail down the classics. So the classics are, are uh, getting easier for me. It's the asymmetrical shapes that are presenting a challenge right now. Yeah, I mean, how does that, uh, all right, here I am, I'm, you know, I'm a sales guy, basically, I don't know how to make anything, but with an asymmetrical shape, you have an idea of what you want to do with it, but you kind of have to work with the grain, is that how it works? Right, on, a, on an asymmetrical shape, a lot of it is dictated by where the bird's eye is in relation to the chamber, or say, if you're drilling, uh, shaping first, drilling second. Um, you're really following the grain to create the shape. So. We'll take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk more about uh, pipe making and we'll uh, talk more about what it's like to be a Hoosier in the middle of Indiana. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Joe Hinkle. And all right, so 
if I understand it correctly, you have your own website, which is henkelpipes.com, and then you're part of the Briar Lab, so that's where all your pipes are currently that are for sale. Uh, but I'm looking at it, and it's a, on your website it says most of your Briar comes from Italy with the occasional block from Greece or Algeria. Uh, can you tell the difference in working with the the blocks from different origins? Uh, you can. Uh, they're, they're different densities uh, and different colors depending on where they come from. Um, and some lend themselves better to sandblasting, some maybe a better smooth. So it's nice to have a, a selection on hand. All right, so that, that I mean that brings out another point. Do you start out a pipe with an idea that you're going to sandblast it and then pick the block that's going to blast better, or do you uh, do you work in, work in all of them and try to make them all smooths, and then if the boo-boo f- shows up, you sandblast it? Uh, for the most part, I start out with a, a shape in mind to be a smooth. Um, it, it depends. If, it's, if it absolutely has to be a smooth, I'll, I'll choose a certain block. Um, if, if it doesn't matter as much, if it can be a smooth or a blast, I'll, I'll choose the block based on that. So it really depends on, on if it's commission or um, just a regular uh, stock piece. So. When, you're, when you were talking about the color of the briar, does that help with the finished color of the pipe as well? Uh, it has a little bit to do with that. It really, it's, for me, it's just an identifier where where the briar came from. Um, it seems like the Algerian briar is usually a more pink color, and the Italian stuff is a little more uh, blonde and uniform. Huh. Uh, and you also, I mean, you've played around with a whole bunch of different colors of stains, including a uh, really pretty red, uh, I guess that's kind of like a squat Rhodesian with a white stem on it. Uh, is the red stain hard to work with? Uh, no, not too much different than the, the browns, um, browns and black, I guess. Uh, the red, more so, I would use it as a, a top color, as a um, top of a contrast most most of the time. So you put the black on first and then and then remove a bunch of it and put the red on top of it? Yeah, if, if you're looking for a, a red um, red tent to the top coat, yeah, that's that's how I would do it. Use a black or a dark brown underneath. So, in the in all the processes of pipe making, is there a favorite part of it for you? Uh, yeah, a lot of guys will probably think I'm crazy, but I like stem making. That's uh, the part where perfection comes out the most. Okay, you're uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, with Briar, there's always a little bit of uh, subjectivity and, and uh, opinion, whereas with a stem, it's it's either good or it's bad uh, for the most part. And you, uh, I mean, with you cutting your own stems from, you know, from Ebonite, then you don't have to worry about any pits or flaws in it and... You can make the stem exactly the way you want it to be. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, there's less reworking in a stem for the most part. All right. So how do we go to you uh, ending up in Indianapolis with and being part of the Briar Lab? Uh, that's uh, an interesting story. Uh, I first met Nate King um, 
three, four years ago in Columbus at a, a pipe makers meetup uh, that Premo has every year, or had at that point had every year. Uh, probably the first time I met you as well, and a lot of other pipe makers. And uh, I first uh, started writing Insane Blaster, and uh, kind of developed a friendship. and And he told me he had a spot open uh, in a collaboration with Michael Lindner, um, where I may be able to get into um, some higher-end equipment and learn a lot from those guys uh, as a group. So that's how I ended up in Indianapolis. And and do you have any fun stories about Nate or Michael that you want to share on the show? We won't tell oh, anybody. Oh, we've a lot of good times in, in the shop. What, sorry? <laughs> We won't tell anybody. We promise. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know if any of the stories are appropriate for the air, but uh, yeah, we had a lot of good times in the shop. A lot of laughs for sure. Uh, but it, I mean, it's also got to be good for you to have those guys to bounce ideas off of when you're kind of working on something. Oh, definitely. Um, the the chance for me to show them a pipe that's in process and and get their opinion before I make changes or, or maybe go down the wrong path to say, hey, what do you think of this? And then they'll give me their opinion, and I can change it immediately to maybe what, what it really should have been in the first place instead of what I had envisioned. So where do your pipes start out price-wise? Uh, they start right now probably 270 And then what... What's the most expensive pipe you've ever sold? Uh, five twenty-five for a Magnum billiard. Yeah, so you're you're keeping your prices in the uh, in the reasonable range and working full time at it. Yeah, yeah, I would I would hope that most people would uh, assume that they're pretty reasonable prices. And looking on the on briarlab.com under your stuff, there's also a pipe of yours that you've made out of olive wood. Uh, was that difficult to uh, to adjust to to work with? Uh, not necessarily uh, difficult. Um, it's it's a different wood, of course, but uh, it works in a similar way to briar. A little softer, actually, a little easier to finish. And when you're not making pipes, what else? Uh, what else keeps you busy? Uh, play hockey and uh, working on uh, some computer software. Um, hanging out with my friends, uh, making pipes is really what I do in my free time. <laughs> I mean, that's hockey and computer software are two completely different ends of the spectrum from what I would picture. But uh, I guess uh, getting out and Playing on the ice gets you some physical exercise, and then you can sit in front of a computer for a while. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't know. I'm, in, I'm interested in a lot of different things, and I, I like to to learn about a lot of different things. So, kind of a weird guy. Yeah. What kind of what kind of computer software are you doing? Uh, PC based emulation, uh, uh, software conglomeration, stuff like that. Okay, what's that in English? Um, well, right now I'm working on some software to um, combine emulators to play uh, old 
video games uh, in one system. So uh, Nate's probably tired of hearing about it, but I, I've been working on it for like six months trying to get all of the software together. So like the, all the old uh, Sega and uh, Nintendo games and get them all to work on one basic system? Right, yeah, and um, all the arcade games as well. So they would all play through one system that would launch everything uh, under a, an arcade joystick layout. Yeah, you mean like those old games where you had just a stick and one button and that's all you had to worry about instead of these new ones where you got 15 different things that you have to push at the same time to do something? Right, yeah, six six buttons is going to be the maximum that this uses. <laughs> that, that's, that's good because that's about the most I can... I, I can handle like two or three buttons and a joystick. And, and then, yeah, that's uh, that's where they're they're usually going to end, right there. And then I get confused. So, <laughs> uh, all right, who's your uh, who's your hockey team? Uh, hockey team Buffalo Sabers. Although they they've been in last place the last three years, uh, they've been my team for quite a while. How does a guy from Indiana fall in love with the Buffalo Sabers? I used to uh, play goaltender a lot, and uh, Dominic Kosick was my kind of my goaltender idol. So he played for Buffalo for a long time, so that ended up being my team. Couldn't you just put a really fat guy in the in the goal, and and uh, then he'd block the entire the entire net? You know, I thought about that. Uh, maybe a sumo wrestler, or someone like that. That would be yeah. perfect. But uh, I don't know that the uh, the goaltender equipment regulations would allow that. Well, I mean, you'd have to wear it. You know, you'd have to wear all the equipment and everything, so you'd have to get a fairly good sized suit. But then you could just block <laughs> up the net. He wouldn't have to move. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's uh, kind of the way goaltending is going now. There are guys that are six foot seven, six foot eight. They take up a lot more of the goal than than the old guys do. So. Well, it helps with the wingspan. Yeah, definitely. They can they can go post to post pretty easily. So, do you still play? Do you, do you still play goalie? Uh, occasionally, I, I don't like to, but uh, occasionally I'm I'm kind of forced into it. So, I'll play under protest maybe once a month. Because <laughs> then you got to keep your uh, you got to keep your legs fairly loose so you can do the splits. Yeah, no, that's not an option. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go back to pipes for a second. Uh, what's the uh, What's coming up in the future for you? Where do you, uh, how many pipes do you think you'll make this year, and where do you want to be in the future? Uh, probably going to end up around a hundred pipes this year. Uh, hopefully, I can make a few more, but that's that's the goal. Um, as for the future, more artistic asymmetrical shapes probably is what's what's in store for me in the future, uh, along with some classic shapes. When you go to a when you go to a pipe show, do you get a chance to get away from your table and walk around and look and see what everybody else is doing? A little bit. I don't. I, I don't feel like I need. I can leave the table for too long because I, I feel like I'm going to miss something. But yeah, I do get around and, and talk to some other pipe makers and look and see what they're making. Are there some of the pipe makers out in the world besides uh, a, a certain Nate and Michael that you like what they're doing and? You want to you want to kind of emulate what they're doing? Uh, yeah, for sure. There's uh, a couple guys in the U.S. and uh, Tokotomi for sure. Um, 
I'm still amazed by what he does, how he, how his uh, organic aesthetic can be uh, so elusive that it's hard for me to even make something in that category. <laughs> it's hard to even notice that it's organic, but it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough for me to nail down what I what it is I like about it. It's, it's subtle. Uh, and then the final question before we wrap it up is. Uh, do you do commissions, or do you prefer just to work off of whatever the block gives you? I do commissions. Um, they're they're a fun challenge, but I like to to uh, kind of choose a shape and and uh, run with that, or maybe allow the block to dictate it. Um, all right, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer. Just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is your favorite pipe? Favorite pipe, probably uh, Nate King Olivewood uh, Billiard with titanium. I, I smoke that a lot. Did he actually make it? He made one out of olive wood? Olive wood with a titanium ring, yeah. Uh, it, it smokes great. Wow. What's your favorite tobacco? Favorite tobacco, probably... Um, Either 965 or uh, Wessex Golden Virginia. And what's your favorite drink? Favorite drink, uh, I'm a beer guy. Probably a stout or a porter. Hockey guys should say Labatt's. But when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, definitely a book. I'm a big science fiction and uh, fantasy nerd, so it would be definitely a book for me. Uh, what sci-fi are you reading now? Uh, just finished uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, I've been rereading the Tad Williams Other Land series. So not a lot of pipe smoking in those books, are there? No, not at all, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's the future. Um, no, anyway. Uh, <laughs> the last question is, do you have a particularly favorite uh, pipe-smoking-related memory? Uh, probably my favorite pipe-smoking memory is uh, the first time I hung out with a lot of uh, pipe makers in, in Columbus at uh, Smoker's Haven. Uh, it's the first time I met you, and uh, kind of an eye-opening experience. Learned a lot uh and I uh, met a lot of really great people there, so that's probably my favorite memory. Those were fun times. Um, and I think that's, yeah, definitely. I think that's when he had that little uh, that catering truck that came by and had this had some wonderful cake. Uh, now I'm getting hungry. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. All right, to see Joe's pipes, go to Briar Lab. Dot com or Hinkle Pipes is the website. Joe, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And we'll be back in just a minute. Craftsmanship, history, tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products. From the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany. 
Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Baron Tobacco Company, and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years ago. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Baron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Baron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of modern Virginia from Mac Baron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. This is Internet Radio. We are back. Do make sure and check out all of uh, Joe's pipes and all the other pipes at uh, Briar Lab and check out his uh, gallery on his own website. All right. Um, listen, I failed to mention in uh, in the uh, recap there that there is a uh, coalition or a group of the uh, pipe importers and manufacturers that kind of got together and they're working on some stuff to uh, try to help explain to the FDA what a tobacco pipe is and how a uh, tobacco pipe is used and how a tobacco pipe should be regulated or not regulated at all. Uh, anyway, I'll keep you up to date on that as well. But right now, that's just in the, uh, the guys just got together last week, so. All right, for music, we're, uh, taking a big step away from the traditional of, uh, pipe-smoking musicians. I do have, uh, I have some good suggestions of music coming up, so, uh, thank you all for sending in those suggestions. Uh, but this is a gentleman named Tom Amin, A-M-E-E-N, and he plays, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, but traditionally, uh, you know, spa-type piano music or background relaxing, soothing piano music, you know, music to get you in the mood to go to sleep or in the mood for something else. I mean, he's got some some really soft, easy listening stuff, but uh, he's done some Disney music, and I found him about three, four weeks ago downloaded some of his stuff off of iTunes and have been enjoying it a lot. This piece is his rendition of the theme song for the show Fantasmic, which takes place at uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios in Florida and at Disneyland in California. Uh, It's a staged, uh, you know, uh, explosives and... uh, uh, pyrotechnics and lasers, spectacular thing with projection on the water screens. But this is the theme, the theme song for Phantasmic performed by Tom Amin. Thank you. 
for reference, uh, do a Google search for Fantasmic, F-A-N-T-A-S-M-I-C, and you will hear that that is a, I mean, that is a rousing, amped up uh, fanfare at the end, and uh, Tom took it, broke it down into a beautiful little piano piece, so uh, look up Tom Amin. You got mail. 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 We have a lot to catch up on in the mailbag. So uh, Matthew Randolph, who is a uh, friend of uh, Quincy Worthington, Quincy Danger Worthington, which we won't hold that against him. Uh, he's also a colleague of him, so that's a uh, or a colleague of his going back to college. Uh, wrote in to say, uh, for whatever it's worth, I look forward to the radio show. We were talking about a Disney pipe, and then he said, for whatever it's worth. I look forward to the radio show every week. Keep up the good work. I always learn so much. Thank you. Uh, Scrap Fox, better known as... Uh, uh, I forget what Scrap's name was when he was on the radio show. Anyway, the Punk Rock Piper. You can find him on uh, find him on YouTube. Uh, Scrap wrote in to write in, Hey, Brian, really loved yesterday's show regarding uh, Mike McNeil. So I know uh, Scrap's a fan of the uh, some of the McClellan blends. And then uh, John Patrick Wolf sent a message on Facebook. Uh, he's a big, he's as big as a Disney fan as I am, and luckily for him, he lives in, uh, he lives down there near it. So uh, anyway, I'm jealous. Uh, he said, uh, anyway, he sent me on Thursday. He said I've been binge listening to the radio show for a few months now, and just made it past. The 105th episode going backwards. Uh, and then he recommends some great bands that will work in. I do not suggest listening to the show as in binges. Uh, because, uh, you know, it can be hazardous to your health. Um, let's see. We'll jump back uh, two weeks ago. One more comment from uh, having uh, Mark on. Mark Stout, who is now traveling into Canada, I believe, on that bike ride. Uh, Casey Ghost, Dan writes, it was a very good show. The pipe parts on the new regulations was informative. Hopefully the lawsuits against the FDA will bear fruit or will have fruit bears or armed bears or bear arms. Uh, no, that's, anyway. Uh, the people who are dead set against destroying our hobby have to be stopped somehow. Their argument about protect the children would be fine, I suppose, if they were pursue if they pursued it across the board, but they don't. And the amazing thing is the thing that they want to stamp out is cigarette smoking, and they are giving it a free pass. Uh, the Mark Stout interview was a good one, good wrap up of retirement, Disneyland pipe carving, and motorcycles. Uh, the music was very good. Rant was very good. We keep electing people who keep talking about our lib or keep taking our liberties away. Before long, we're all going to be living in cardboard boxes. Uh, let's see. From last week's show with uh, Mike McNeil on, uh, Jabo says a very good show. I will have to agree that pipe smokers are above average intelligence, or what you call it. Uh, Mike's interview is spot on. It appears that we have someone who is passionate about this. I love the McClellan tobaccos along with several others and will back them to my fullest extent. Great show, Brian. Keep it up, Jeb. We uh, sure will, and uh, yeah, can't go wrong with McClellan. Um, Al Jones said, <laughs> Brian, nice job drawing Mike out of his shell. Yeah, he's really shy and reserved. Hard to get him to really 
start talking and then stop talking. Uh, Dino writes, You've been doing this show for nearly four years, every week, and I don't remember a single one that disappointed. I don't feel I'm being redundant when I say great show more than 200 times. Thank you, Dino. Uh, He goes on to write, This one, too, was terrific. Mike is an amazing raconteur and so obviously dedicated to his company, its products, and its reputation. He is truly old school. And you chose the perfect musical compliment to his one-sided conversation, Scott Joplin's A Real Slow Drag, a piano roll performance on a vintage player piano. You can't get much more old school than that. I totally agree with your assessment of the ethos of our pipe community. Again, bravo, and thanks, Dino. Uh, And I'll add into that real quick. Uh, And this was kind of humbling, because over the past week, I got... uh, phone calls from three different people um two of them who are in the industry or in the hobby and i really respect their opinion and then one of them was from my dad and just to give you a little background on my dad his master's degree is in music for film he did you know a lifelong professional musician did sound effects and he said that he had been listening to some of the radio shows recently and was really impressed at how smooth and clean they sound and uh, so it's really nice to hear comments like that, especially coming from my dad, who's not listening to the content because he doesn't smoke, uh, but is just listening to it for uh, context. Anyway, uh, going on, Dan, Casey Ghost writes, Yes, another fine show. Mike has one interest in this world, and it is tobacco. Uh, when you consider the FDA is about to take that away from him, I'm surprised he didn't get on your so- get on your soapbox and rant for an hour. How can you argue with people who just say the FDA disagrees with you? Wraps themselves in the claws of righteousness and smugly acts like they are doing what is best for us. Your fourth anniversary is coming up about seven weeks. Any plans? Yeah, I think it's in four weeks now. And and I think I plan on doing a radio show. Or two. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Safari Pete writes, Brian, great show. Your description of pipe smokers is way off. I only have collections of ink pens, collectible watches, pre-World War II shotguns and handguns, and I'm almost always out with one of my four Photog vests for two reasons. One, to have many pockets for a pipe tobacco, a pipe gadget, and cleaners, and two, to hide my Glock 40 carried legally. Uh, But you're mistaken since my shoulder operation... (laughs) I'm not into archery or ballroom dancing. Brian, you're way off. Haha, ha. be well, my friend. Travel safe. Thanks. Yeah, I, I don't know if I mentioned uh, fountain pens or another thing that's kind of popular amongst us uh, pipe smokers. I've heard of uh, cufflinks, a um, bunch of other things that, uh, that we guys like to collect. Um, all right, let's just jump right on to it. Rant time is coming up next. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. Since 1990, Cornell & Deal has been producing high-quality pipe tobacco, expertly blended by hand using time-honored methods, unique recipes, and no small amount of innovation. One example of such innovation is our bestseller, Autumn Evening. We start with whole-leaf red Virginia and strip the stems by hand. 
The tobacco is then cut into ribbons and cooked for two days according to our unique recipe to create our special Red Virginia Cavendish. Then we infuse the tobacco while it's still hot with our secret flavoring to achieve the sublime sweetness, deep flavor, and delightful aroma that makes autumn evenings so well-loved by our loyal customers and everyone around them as they enjoy this very special blend. Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. It's a labor of love. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. Tonight's rant is brought to you by uh, Bob Bittner, guest on the show, and he wrote saying uh, that he'd done some writing for Michigan State University and was surprised to get this email from them today. I uh, thought you might appreciate seeing it. It's definitely fodder for a rant, I think. In a way, it's kind of heartbreaking. Many of us discovered pipes in college. Well, here's what it says. MSU, Michigan State University, goes tobacco-free August 15, 2016. And I'm going to read through this. Uh, dear supplier, Michigan State University's Board of Trustees approved a tobacco-free ordinance in 2015, a move that will go into effect August 15, 2016, as part of an ongoing effort to ensure the MSU community enjoys a healthy campus. All right, I'm going to stop right there. Has the MSU community uh, banned any other legal substances to uh, people over the age of 18? No, probably not. Uh, has the Michigan State University campus banned uh, candy bars or the selling of uh, sugary drinks on it? No, I doubt it. Okay, so let's go forward. Uh, the new ordinance applies to all property governed by the Board of Trustees and includes not only main campus, but also MS, all MSU sites across the state, nation, and globe. Well, I didn't know Michigan State University was anywhere but in Michigan State, but apparently they're across the nation and the globe. Well, they can kiss my Chinese butt if they're over there in China and they're going to get people to stop smoking. Ha! Huh. Anyway, uh, it goes on to say, in addition to traditional tobacco products such as cigarettes and chewing tobacco, the ordinance also prohibits e-cigarettes and vaporizers. All FDA-approved nicotine replacement therapy products are permitted for cessation use, and I'm going to pause right there, probably because they're getting money from the same pharmaceutical companies that uh, the FDA is getting money from. And then I'll wrap this up with the last line because I love this. Uh, be advised, if you are in a car, you must not be using tobacco when you enter the campus. Or what? They're going to break the window and hose you down? Anyway, Michigan State University, the Board of Trustees, eh, kiss my butts, I'm not going there. All right, uh, I want to thank Joe for joining me. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And uh, hey, until next time.
Magazine radio show does not condone slapping, spanking, pinching, or prodding your grandmother. It's only an old southern saying, and nobody at the Pipes Magazine radio show or our listeners would ever harm a grandmother.